Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Osiris. And then we'll be live if we press the button. Hey guys, hey everybody. Ryan set his alarm for ten, which I I, I hope is a joke, um, because mm-hmm. till since ten till ten since I don't know two thousand twelve maybe. Can Aww. I just say one thing before we get going, please? Koig, we can go. What the hell was that? Come on, you gunners! We just won our first match of the season. One down, thirty-seven to go. Okay, well, that was Jonathan's favorite part of the show probably so far, the Sports Minute. Um, All right, so we're back with 40 for 40. It's Saturday, as always, as we always come to you on Saturday mornings. And this this show is always, we're just kind of always on a specific schedule, you know? We're nothing if not scheduled. I think what's important is that we occasionally do this. You mean the it's show? occasionally live, and then it's occasionally at the time that we set out to do this. It's amazing. Kids are great, aren't they? They are great. Um, I'm here at the beach. Um, I'm I uh, I am recovering from the from the MSG flu, but I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine, guys. Name? Is that the strain now in 2000? I think so. I think so. I think yeah, so. The, the latest strain is MSG07. Exactly. Um, but we had a great time last Saturday. I missed you both, um, as, as we talked about on Monday. Um, okay, so it's 2006, guys. We we left this in 2005. I was not on that episode, but we we are adding one person to the band that was featured in 2005, right? An yeah, which must mean it's just going to go deeper and outer and better, or right? I assume that was the intention. 
suddenly felt and like more tickets are, are going to be sold there. Definitely more tickets are going to be sold. <laughs> this is, um, so this, you know, grab started as Mike and the duo, as we highlighted in 2005, I guess, Jonathan, I know that you, um, as is now the new tradition on HFI, you have a statement. Um, I don't know if you want to do that now. I just want to say that as I'm listening back to this, you know, fish is completely in limbo as fans. We were completely in limbo in 2006. Yet this, this uh, show has three of the members of, of fish playing together in the encore For a moment. Yeah. And I just, I guess you can address this after the statement or before, but like Trey is always motivated. Trey is always like, he's always writing new material. Mike, Mike talked about this in his interview with Chris Bandolfi that one of the things he's most impressed by is just how prolific Trey is, which we all know, but it's interesting to hear other artists say that. But what do you guys think Trey's motivation was in 2006, like musically or career wise? Like, you know, cause it, like fish is like not happening yet. It like, people are coming in and out i'm just wondering what you guys think because i feel like this is totally different than like 2005 trey solo stuff what do you can you guys speculate on what you think trey was trying to accomplish with like this this uh tour musically i think trey wanted to play and he saw that mike may had a good thing going with the duo and was like oh i bet there's room for a guitar player on that and maybe there was some other hindrance, some other barrier to doing tab or whatever that he might have done. And so he said, hey, let's do this. I mean, there could be other factors. I mean, this summer tour that we're going to talk about here as a package tour, if you will, like we don't know how this got put together exactly. Uh, Phil's going on tour who approached who to get the duo on or Trey on or what. So there's some element to that probably. Um, But Trey wanted to play. Yeah, I get that sense. I think, I think twofold the post fish period has produced a lot of change in terms of his approach from a songwriting standpoint, from a, performance standpoint we've seen him with multiple bands at this point in time various lineups from a tab standpoint um you know i think in in one sense he's just trying to figure out something that works and so you're just seeing him kind of like play the 70 bolt parade for a bit here and try to interpret his music this way play with tab for a bit here interpret his music this way write his music this way play uh the orchestral stuff and continue writing charts and continue developing over there Grab seems like the, and in some cases as well, what he did um, in the fall seemed like this happy medium between whatever I did with fish was what worked best. It sold the most tickets. It got the most attention. It got the most energy. Um, but I'm also, you know, you have bar 17, this record that comes out in 2006, that has a lot of kind of really quiet, very introspective songs, a lot of songs that have really dissonant jams that come off of them. It, it seems almost like the best equation I can put is like a Neil Young, Bob Dylan lost period where it's, you look back on it 15 years from now or 15 years later and it kind of makes sense. But in the moment it felt like he's just grabbing at whatever 
no pun intended, but he's just grabbing at whatever is going to like work for the moment in time. And sometimes it really works. And other times, as we saw in 2005, it didn't totally work from a musical inspiration standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry to throw us off with that intro, but I just, you know, it's a question. Okay. Jonathan, how do we start? Cause we got to, we got to step back and think about 2006. I Luckily, I just want to say, sorry, Jonathan, before I hand it no, off to you, I just want to say that you, um, well, we're lucky because you did some light editing to Brian's cultural context for 2006, which I just, I just appreciate. I think it'll make it, you know, 27 minutes instead of 53 minutes. And I think that's helpful. So thank you. <laughs> I, I didn't dare pare down the albums. I just, you know, of course not. I hope. I mean, I, I wanted to. Let's be clear. Um, fair. But um, but I, I, I want to say, and I, and I say this with great respect for Brian and the Youth of America, which is to say that the albums on his list that don't matter to me might matter to him. I'm just, I was just already old and curmudgeonly by then. So, um, fair. Brian, why do, with that intro, why don't you take it away with your uh, cultural perspective of 2006? Well, and I will just say going into this, 2006, I was 21 years old. I lived by myself. I was I was at a, a very important transitional point in my life. It was the year I met my wife. We started dating. It was like this huge, lots of things that are now part of my life were coming into focus at this point in time. Um, and with that, this was also the year, this year in 2007, and I would say early 2008, I was so far removed from anything fishdom. I had a chance to go to a grab show in summer 2006 and just passed it up entirely because I just I just didn't care. I didn't I didn't want to. Um, and so a lot of the records I have listed here in terms of good records that came out in 2006 were a reflection of my own interests. My own musical interests were were changing. But just a quick rundown. 2006 was a big year television wise. We had season four of the wire, arguably one of the best television seasons in uh, TV history. Sopranos season 6.1 episode. One of that ends with a shocking scene where junior, I won't tell you, but it's just an incredible scene between junior and Tony. Uh, The final season of Deadwood weed season two final season of Deadwood. Does that really make the list? It's a great, did you ever watch that show? I, I think I watched the first season. I think I lost. Oh my! I lost. God, Al Swearingen. Okay, okay. What an amazing. All right, character. sorry, sorry. Did sorry. I tell you that my my grandmother's maiden name is Swearingen, and there's I didn't. Sorry. You didn't. That's right, amazing ahead. stuff. Okay. Um, no a show I don't care that much about, but I think changed a lot about television. Friday Night Lights debuted in 2006. Now we're gonna uh, fight. I we now will. I my my wife loves that show. I'm just I I can't really. Oh I can't man, do it. Um, absolutely. Classic. It's always sunny season two, uh, and 30 rocks season one, uh, movies. We had some great movies that came out in 2006. Thank you for smoking V for vendetta, little miss sunshine, uh, Christopher Nolan's favorite movie, which is Talladega nights, which was a fact I learned while, uh, reading about Oppenheimer. Amazing stuff. That is epic. Uh, very good. Uh, the departed, uh, the prestige speaking of Christopher Nolan, Babel casino Royale, for Your Consideration, The Good Shepherd, my favorite movie of 2006, and Children of Men. I'm already getting Friday Night Lights uh, anger in the chats. I apologize. We all have different tastes. Some people love that show. Clearly, it was very successful and launched a ton of huge careers. Um, Music-wise, number one song 
excuse me, guys, early in the morning recording, you know, number one song in America at the time of this show was Nelly Furtado featuring Timberland, Promiscuous, a, sh- a song that uh, apparently Megan was dancing to at um, Never heard uh, weddings at this point in time. But it is important to note that the song of raves. the summer. Yes, right. <laughs> the song of the summer. Crazy by Gnarls Barkley was rising rapidly on the charts in July 2006. Um, a quick rundown of records that came out this year that I thought were quite good. Tom Waits's Orphans, Brawlers, and Bastards. TV on the Radio's Return to Creaky Mountain. Tim Hecker's Harmony and Ultraviolet. Shout out to all my ambient heads out there. Uh, Bob Dylan's Phenomenal Modern Times. Joanna Newsom's Yeast. The Hold Steady's Boys and Girls in America, my favorite record of that year. Arctic Monkeys, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not, Justin Timberlake, Future Sex, Love Sounds, Scott Walker's Adrift, Yola Tango's I Am Not Afraid of You, and I Will Beat Your Ass, Bonnie Prince Billy's The Letting That's Go. That's an epic album. It's a very epic album. Uh, Grizzly Bear's Yellow House, great record. Oneida's Happy New Year. The Knife's Silent Shout, Caliphon's Roots and Crowns, huge record. The Decemberists, The Crane Wife, Bell and Sebastian, Life Pursuit, Peter Bjorn and John, Writer's Block, speaking of Songs of Summer. Paul Simon and Brian Eno, Surprise, the self-titled Pearl Jam record, Tom York's solo album, The Eraser, Neil Young's Living with War, incredibly underrated record. Uh, Beck, The Information, Camera Obscura, Let's Go to This Country, and one of my favorite records of that year, Trainastasio's Bar 17. Yes, I absolutely, absolutely love that record. Wow. Dropping the heat at the end there. Couldn't tell you the last time I heard that record. Um, I listened to it yesterday. Almost, almost it's, yesterday. It is really interesting. Almost it's, yesterday. It's produced really well. That's a song on that album, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's on my next, next record. Apparently, it was uh, it was recorded over three years. I didn't realize that until I was reading a little bit more about it yesterday, which it's just like a hodgepodge of songs uh, from Trey at the time. But the title track is really nice uh hoist across the potomac even though it um, has some ridiculous lyrics has some huge jam potential cincinnati's recorded really well it's just it's really good can stuff I, can i just tell everybody that you you texted us yesterday and said i why why has or i would love fish to play Host love- across the potomac and i was like i don't even know what that song sounds like <laughs> the only time i've seen trey play was i was i walked out only same. time I saw him play that song, I walked out either during same or show, the I end think. of that song. It same was show, right? Mark Theater, Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I wonder if we walked by each other while walking. We probably up opposite aisles. We were on the uh you know, the the stage left aisle down front. I, I left during up. uh whatever the like knives out, I think. Oh, I was see, like, I right, stayed I've until the enough. encore, and then I was just like, God, what? that's the radiohead song he was playing. I think so, but that was in the first set, so that's not true. I, I probably left maybe during like the solo acoustic se- section, or maybe, maybe, maybe I on the wall. I, it was something that was just like I can't. I probably not during Knives Out because I was in the first set, but I didn't. I probably didn't make it as long as Jonathan did. Yeah. So can I just say? Anyways, okay. Okay. Go ahead. No, well, I no, just want to. I just want to say that because I know you have some stuff you want to say, Jonathan, but. Yeah. 2006 was one of the best years of my life because I it was my it was my first of two full years living in the Bay Area, and it was just like I just went to work 
in the city and then I came back to Oakland and then on the weekends we would go either to like Baker Beach on the, you know, Richmond in San Francisco, or we'd go to the mission and just like go from bar to bar all day, or we'd go to Sonoma or we'd go to like Santa Cruz or we'd go to Big Sur or we'd like go to Tahoe or we would just hang out in Oakland and mm. like we had no kids and we had no responsibilities and and it was just amazing. But I, I remember listening to basically zero fish and no jam band music whatsoever in 2006, um, which we can talk more about. But it's just like it was it was such a great year because I was so in, in such a different place that I that I really now looking back was like it was pretty amazing. OK, that's all. You don't realize at those points how good you have it. Yeah. Uh, to be an adult without children. What's that like? Um, so. Uh, yeah, I do have a statement and I, I want to preface it because, you know, normally here in the show, we would have Megan come out and tell us, you know, the what's happening with fish in this year. And um, the answer is really nothing. You know, Trey had the bar 17 record. We've alluded to some of the other tours. We're going to talk about uh, one in particular here in a minute. Um, but there's there's no fish. And. You know, there is something that did happen in 2006 that, you know, if we're looking at the history, we need to look at and and, mm -hmm. and we're not going to dwell on it. So, uh, you know, because we're here to celebrate fish, uh, the music of the band, the individuals, their own projects, as well as the greater community. And we have at times been willing to be blunt about things that didn't go well for the band. I'm sure we will again. But uh, I think we do a reasonable job of staying out of the tabloid stuff and the salacious speculation because it's not who we are. It's not what we do. It's not pleasant or even fun. Uh, but as we are celebrating this 40th anniversary of the band, I think we have to touch on this one thing. Uh, mm -hmm. On December 15th, 2006, Trey Anastasia was pulled over in Whitehall, New York, and subsequently arrested for possession of controlled substances, DWI on drugs. This arrest led to Trey entering a drug court diversion program where he got sober, performed community service, lived a very controlled life for 14 months. And Trey has since credited the officer who pulled him over and the subsequent program for saving his life. We are all thankful that Trey was stopped that night before he hurt himself or anyone else. And we're even more thankful that Trey heard the wake-up call and seized the opportunity to regain control of his life. Because without that, we wouldn't be talking here today. Fish would not be the amazing band that they are today. The story of Fish would have ended in those bogged out fields in Vermont in 2004. And so as we mark 2006 in our 40 by 40 calendar, we look at that December day with gratitude, but we're going to carry on talking about music. Excellent. Very well said. Um, okay, Jonathan. So, I chose this show and, and we talked a little bit about this in our um, 10th anniversary party, which I am still hoping to release whenever I can find the stuff. Um, we, we have, we've kind of assigned years to, to each of us. And so I did some outreach to some, some artists and I tried to get some perspective on where, you know, where like people's heads were with regard to this tour, because a lot of them, as Jonathan said, and I haven't really thought that much about this part, um, which is that this was really a Phil and friends tour for the most part. Right. And they were playing grab was mostly playing a middle set between the duo and, and Phil and friends. Um, this, 
show, 71206 in Essex Junction. This, I think, was like rose to the top. Um, we did a lot of research and you did a lot of listening, um, Brian. I think you did too, Jonathan. But there definitely was like a lot of listening to some of this stuff to try to find the best show or, or the right show. But I think this is, I guess, I thought this was interesting because some of these shows that, that Grab played were like, there were some really long jams, right? There's like some 20, 30, 20 minute stuff. This has like a little, it's a little bit more focused, which I think is interesting. Um, I like the mixing in of, of the duo track in the middle. Um, I, so I think this works, but um, Brian, as we go through, maybe you can talk about some of the other highlights from this tour, because I thought it was way less um, depressing and dark than like some of the other, you know, post fish stuff that I've heard. And I, I remember listening to it at the time and I just kind of listened to this and was like, wow, this is really good. Um, it's upbeat. It's got a lot of amazing improv. The band is obviously incredible. And so it's, it'll be fun to get into. Should I read the set list and then we can just get into it? Yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, so it's a one set, uh, as I mentioned, this was, um, this was the middle, there was a Phil and friends show after this. Um, so their set was drifting trouble Tuesday, Hap Nappy, Goodbye Head, Into Something for Rockets, Into Shine, Mud City, Into Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, Into Dragonfly, Encores, Who Are You, with Paige on keys, and Mike on acoustic guitar, just really doing pretty well on that acoustic guitar solo there. Um, all right, so guys, I think this starts like the... <laughs> Sorry, I just looked at one of my notes. <laughs> for later um <laughs> it's always a good sign when your own notes crack you up <laughs> i like the i like i mean i love drifting like i don't know oh, yeah. there are people who don't like drifting it's just i don't want to meet them yeah it's a good it's it's a nice opener here i feel like although the you know we, we obviously have a re-listen there's one show from this tour that's on live fish but um it sounds like people are still kind of getting settled and i wonder i wonder what the what it was like there but um i kind of i like this opener and um, I want to hear what you guys have to say about those first few songs. Um, I'm going to take this cause I think I'll be brief, Brian, and then you can go to town and tell me how I'm wrong and stuff. Um, so just about the, like, I'm going to take the, like the first three songs, uh, which is just drifting. Um, it's maybe weird to say, uh, makes me miss the horns listening to this version totally um fair. and i want to but i'm going to start actually before i go any further i want to just stop and say that um anything that i say like that or whatever has no negative reflection on marco and joe they are slamming the whole night they're great they are like above and beyond the role that might be perceived as the two guys backing the dudes from fish which is not what they're doing they're fully interactive and really great in this in this context um uh second song trouble really it's bad uh tr trouble seems to find me i mean i i'm not surprised this is not a song that trade plays anymore it is a last time played 722 2006 which was the last night of the grab tour yeah, at Tuesday, um, okay, Tuesday, still a very current song. Like they play, you know, they they Tab still plays this. Uh, 
I'm not sure they played it this year, but they still play this uh, closer to liftoff. I think this one gets closer to liftoff. But again, I kind of miss the horns. Yeah. And it, it's a little weird. Often I hear people like, you know, people who don't love tab will say, uh, I could do without the horns, man. <laughs> and this, maybe this is for them. But um, I kind of, I'm kind of missing the horns because I'm just kind of, I'm like hearing, and Marco's doing a really nice job uh, on the harmonics and stuff with his keys. Incredible. Like, he's got like 40 fingers, I swear to God. Um, just insane. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's, it, but it's not the same. And I'm sure he knows that. Uh, and, 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 and that's not a detraction. That's just my brain. Just like I'm hearing, bat, bat, bat. That, totally. you know, I'm hearing the horn hits and in my brain and not hearing them in my ears. And so it kind of disconcerting. Brian, before I, before I pass it off to you, I just want to say, I don't have anything really to add. Um, but I kept thinking that Hap Nappy was called Hot Pockets. Um, I like that name. <laughs> well, I was I would, I, I, <laughs> in my alt version of this, of this band, they definitely have a song called Hot Pockets. Um, that's all, but but that Hapnappy, um, this the guitar is growling and the outro is amazing. Good playing from Mike and um, I, I just Marco's jazzy like approach to this music it just adds so much. And of course, like Russo's, it Russo is almost less noticeable because he's like I don't know if he's as good as Fishman, but he's like. He's as active as Fishman, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, Marco's yeah. style is so much different than Page's <clears throat> or Ray's that it just really sticks out to me. And I just I love Marco's playing. And um, so I don't know. That's Marco's all I got for like that. overdriven uh, Rhodes or whatever the electric key piano he's <laughs> using. I'm not sure if it's a Whirly or Rhodes, but it's it's like I love that overdriven sound that he always has. Really amazing. Um, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Well, so I. I, th- I think you introduced this really nicely, Jonathan. Um, I-, I hope I'm not overstepping here by using a term that you and I have thrown around. Uh, over, I mean, I was going to use it later. Okay, good. Because it really um, applies more. There are a couple songs this applies to, but I think that it's important to set the table here that we we talked a lot about. How do I get into this? All right, I'm going to make I'll a say, Let me say that guy here. Well, well, let me, let me say something qualifying and then you can say it. Um, I, I I listened to a lot of 2006 Trey this, this last week, uh, between the, the grab tour and that October tour that is, is really, really stunning. And I listened to bar 17 a couple of times. I'm pretty convinced this is the strongest Trey has sounded as a guitarist, not as a vocalist, but as a guitarist since 2003, um, 2004, I, I, I will defend aspects of it while admitting that there are a lot of moments, even in jams I listen to a lot, where it sounds as though Trey is searching for something, playing a lot of sounds and notes, and then, oh, there's like three bars of brilliant music, and oh, there's an effect that just works perfectly, and the rest of the band is grooving along with him. And Jonathan, I think you talked about this a lot when we did the 2004 episode, where it was kind of like a lot of... What's going on? What's going on? Oh, that's really nice. What's going on? Well, that's really nice. And and that happened in 2004. 2005 is, I did not like at all. And I don't think that is a controversial opinion uh, for a lot of reasons. Did not like anything that was coming out of uh, Trey's music at that point in time. 2006 sounds like the focused fire breathing guitarist from 2003 but with the kind of grunge that we got in 2004 now 
as Jonathan's statement alluded to, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that makes it dark, challenging. And when you get into the actual songs that are written, there is a drum roll. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, distrokid. It's they're kind of anti-intellectual and it's not just that the lyrics aren't thinkers. It's that like the music is simpler. Um, it's like, uh, it's kind of like if fish played all chalk dust all night, right? Except not like a, you know, full show chalk dust, but I mean, chalk dust followed by chalk dust, followed by chalk dust, followed by, uh, maybe a adequate to par subpar Reba followed by chalk dust, followed by chalk dust, followed by chalk dust. Um, like there's nothing wrong with chalk dust. There's nothing wrong with, or there's not much wrong with a lot of these songs. Um, it's just that like, we know that Trey can do better and there's nothing wrong with wanting to play chalk dust, but yeah. like once a night. Well, well, and you know, he, he, yeah. he's not like doing, he's not with this material. Trey is not aspiring pretty hard. He is going out there. He's probably having fun He's, you know, showing off chops and such in one area of chops, but it's all very much like below the waist chops. It's not <laughs> above the neck chops, you know, <laughs> which is interesting because his guitar, if you've watched any videos of this, he has the longest strap he has ever worn for his guitar is he's almost like a punk rock guitarist his his guitar is below the waist as well it's not like up high where he can actually play um Such symbolism <laughs> no but i think you're absolutely right and i think it's it's one of the interesting things about a lot of these songs i went through it trouble last time played 72206 hap nappy mike song but last time played 31414 14. goodbye head has been played but last time played may 29th 2019 mud city march 907 
Uncle Albert, 72206. Dragonfly, March 4th, 2011. Who Are You, 72206. A lot of these songs are just completely left to the band. I mean, I think he played What's Done at the Trey Trio show. I believe it was the first time that he had played What's Done since this era. A lot of these songs have never made it out of this era. And there's this dueling, like, in some cases, from an improvisational standpoint, we will not hear this side of Trey for five or six years. Like this ability to just take total risks and abandon the song structure and get out there in the way that we were hearing him do it in the late 1990s and early 2000s. This is the last time we're going to hear that for half a decade. And well, for a lot is... of people, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Well, I was just like, for a lot of people, like that is part of what we chase about this band is that adventurism, that, 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 that risk-taking, that fear that are they actually going to make it through this improv? What is on the other side of this? How much longer does this go on for? Is there any resolution? And you get a lot of those moments in this, but the trade-off to your point, Jonathan, is a lot of these songs that really just set, feel as though they're just set up for, okay, distorted power chord in a, you know, um, you know, in in a key that gets us into jamming space and then the jam rules everything. And, and you get that structure from a lot of this. I just want to say that we, we see the opposite of this, but again, like to, to Trey's prolific nature, we see the, like the opposite approach of this in 2008, right. With time elastic liquid time, and like all these th- that are the the exact opposite song wise, they're when those songs are going to make it into fish, and they're going to stay with us forever. But they're complex, they're introspective, they're they're deeper, right? In terms of the lyrics, yeah. And I just want to say, I was saying in the in the text chain, I would just respond with the word drugs every time you guys were like analyzing like the all this I stuff. Mean, but I do think there was he was just. It was just a party, you know, and I think he said as much. And I think that like this music reflects a party. See my earlier statement um, about drugs. But uh, yes, it's true. Uh, You know, this is where Trey's head was at. It was but it was as somebody who can. You know, we're not taking this piece of Trey Anastasio in isolation. You know, we see who he is much larger. And I think he would agree to some degree that he wasn't, you know, I think devoting to a lot his composite chops to this stuff, you know, um, he was just playing and there's to some respect. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I said earlier, um, I, I want to say though, uh, about hap nappy, uh, relative to the first couple of songs, this one goes off. They kind of like, mm-hmm. they rock it. It's something. Um, and, and so it feels like the set kind of takes off with a song called Hap Nappy for whatever that is worth to you. Um, and then Goodbye Head is the, uh, sort of, you know, in my earlier fake set list is sort of the iffy Reba of the, of the set. Uh, Goodbye Head is an interesting tune. Uh, Brian, you asked us why Fish doesn't play this. And I actually answered this in my note before you asked us in the, uh, in our text thread, which is that it's because they've, they play Fluffhead. They play Reba. And this song is similar to those in, at certain, in certain passages. Um, It's not a bad song though. Uh, I kind of, I kind of, I love it. You dig it. Yeah. Um, 
And I think the lyrics were written by his daughter and there's just, there's that like whimsical childish nature to them, but there's like that kind of deep quality of a child kind of musing on, on the world. And it feels in line with, you know, if, if there's a, and I think we all try to take, as you said in your statement, an empathetic approach to where the band, to where Trey was at at this point in time, there is a sense of that struggle while also trying to communicate who he was and where he was at that point. And the thing that I always find fascinating about this song is it does have that Reba quality to it, that Fluffhead quality, where it's very fussy and prog related and it's composed. But where Fluffhead builds to a peak and where Reba builds to this like bliss jam, Goodbye Heads builds to dissonant space. And there's something interesting about that uh, juxtaposition within this composition that you don't get in those, you know, it yem builds to a huge gem, sometimes to a spacious area. This, if you listen to a bunch of the versions from 06, they build into almost like uh, the way that discern jammed in 2003, where it was really focused on atmosphere and textures. And there's just something really fascinating about that, that you really get from the way Russo and Beneveno comp complement this band. But this one like bleeds into almost a fading fading out where then Mike picks up the thread and drives a jam and a good jam, I think, um, that takes us into something for Rockets, which I guess is a uh, yeah. duo, duo song. Like, a Russo song. Yeah, duo song. I got and, it. A, and a good one. I really dig it. I mean, I it. they <clears throat> to your point about the adding in the, the layers, Brian, I think <clears throat> they just add in like pop pop and indie layers into these songs. And I think that goodbye had like into this something for rockets, which is like most of their stuff. It's just awesome. I mean, this episode really should be more about the duo and how good they are and how much they should make more music and tour again. They're just the mix of indie rock and groove. And to be fair, like most of Marco's solo albums, including his most recent one are really along the lines of, of this style, which I think is great. Like, I don't think it's very, jam bandy at all like they're you know he's got a much more indie pop sensibility that i think is just great and it it really like this song is great and the jam is good and i just i really like that's probably my highlight of the set just because it's it's just so different it sounds uh, like um like an early pumpkin song it's just like it's shoegazy <laughs> it's I, I i was hearing that in conjunction with Mike's song Hap Nappy and in conjunction with what Trey was writing, it was crazy to hear we're all th the duo being one artist and then Mike and Trey being separate, if if you will. But all three of these artists are converging in the mid 2000s. There's just, there's a lot of different ideas coming together that work really well in improv. And I, I, I get a sense that I don't think it works really well as like a band. Like this does not sound like a unified band throughout these shows. No, I mean, they, they, they pull it off and, uh, I'm mm -hmm. super glad we have it. And I'm also really glad that we're doing this show this for 2006 because RJ missed the 2005 where we did have some opportunity to shine the light on the duo and True. frankly, let's keep shining it. And I want, I'm glad we had an opportunity to get your opinions and thoughts on them, RJ, because they're rad and they deserve the hype. 
Um, I hear their their current band is really good. The the uh, Joe Russo's almost something. I don't know. It's like they play covers of some <laughs> other groups. That I'm not I, familiar with. Um, but do. do check out Marco's solo yeah, stuff if you guys great. haven't, because his his last album was really great. He's he's just such a good artist and and very underrated. I think in in terms of his own contributions to music. Um, sorry. Can I say one thing also? We we touched on this really quickly in the last episode, but it's important to talk about it here because we've had a whole fish tour since the last episode. Marco and Joe are like 28 years old at this time. Like yeah. this oh, is God. the... They look so young. You sent us one of the videos from... Oh my like, God, Elsewhere Joe is door. so skinny. And he Joe, doesn't have his skinny. Like, I'm, And he's just like over the... It's just... It's, a, like, it's, it's Joe Russo, but it looks like a completely different person. Um... It is amazing to see the opportunity that these guys have and, you know, the challenge that you have in professional music that your biggest opportunity meets someone else's biggest challenging period. And yet they converge to have this incredible music over like a three or four week period in time that watching some of the videos of these shows, it looks like a fish show and it looks like people are trying to recreate the vibe of a fish show and everything that I've ever heard about this tour is that it was the closest thing between 2004 and 2009 to having that fish vibe to it. And you can just see that Marco and Joe are taking full advantage of this entire experience. And it's just, it's inspiring to see. I, I would, I would love to see, to see more of this from them. I, I think it's great. And I, and, and I just like, they deserve the opportunity and I'm glad they, got it grabbed it no pun intended and uh have continued to run uh it's a second grab success yeah Yeah, well you know (laughs) what are you gonna do what are you Um, gonna do sometimes you just gotta seize the opportunities here uh no um (laughs) we are dads after all um so shine comes next um remember shine honestly one note about shine forgotten about this song um i just don't hear it any I just haven't heard it. So I hadn't really thought about it in a long time. Is that weird? Um, I want to hear your one note. Yeah, I want to hear your one note, Brian, because I have two notes. My one note is that Trey is happy and he can prove it. (laughs) I I just think Marco's (laughs) Marco's playing in this is just so complimentary and and it just makes this it it makes the whole thing work. Um, I, I, I like this song. Um, it's just a very all structured pop song. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're like you know, you know, we all we all shine on. You know. It's got a um, That's a different song. Yeah. Uh, Ryan notes shine. that Shine is in pretty regular tab rotation these days, and uh, I won't say he's wrong. I'm just saying I haven't heard it. <laughs> I just want to tell you guys that when the days come and gone, you know, we all <laughs> shine on. Do we? I, don't, I have no problem with that statement. I think it's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, yeah. And um, they did. Sorry, Jonathan. My second yeah. note. Oh yeah. Um, is that um, this? First of all, this episode is as tight as a 2006 Trey show. I'll tell you what. We're doing really well. We're almost all yeah. the way through the show. Come on. <laughs> it's just um, not kind, Brian. There. There's a. Um, there's a couple. I think Shine appears on a bunch of, as, as Ryan Storm pointed out, thank you. Um, they're, they're still playing it fairly regularly, but it appears on a couple live tab records. And um, 
I just think it's like I think it's a little underrated. Sorry, guys. Mud City. Um. So a couple thoughts. This to me like makes me think that somebody was sitting down to write a rock song and had going up the country kind of in their head, except they were like, well, I don't want to write that. I want something a little more upbeat, but they still had it in their head. So they basically were like, going up the, and they just kind of mumbled it in their head and then wrote a rock song. Um, It's um, they move really quickly away from it into a jam. That's the, uh, that's a good thing I can say about mud city. It's just a rocker. Yeah. Um, Does anyone have any theories as to where this is and why everyone, literally everyone, including your little sister, loves to go there? Um, it's it's the festival, bro. Mud City is the festival. Maybe Bonnaroo. Want... Probably not Coventry. But maybe Coventry. It's the festival. Everybody wants to go to the festival. Including your I just sister. want to note that this is written about on livefish.com as Trey touching on Stone's Exile era riffing in Mud City and Dragonfly, which to me... I, I'm going to say something really negative before you tell us what it is to you. Um, who did they pay to write that? Because you pay people to write liner notes. <laughs> Unless to me, that up. confirms a lot of our conversations that we've had about the this show, that there is a Mud City and Dragonfly, because I think that these these are these songs are brothers that um you know hey, they just they're not gonna make it out of the eighth grade, you know. They just had it, they had a tough time, but uh they can they can lift a lot of hay. They can they can do a lot of work. They but you know you don't want to put your mind to it because you know when I think about Dragonfly, I think about you know in what world are Boots and your Dragonfly a combo? Like these are two things that I have been wondering. I do, Ryan. I'm watching the EPL while I'm recording this episode. Thank you for noticing. Uh, it is a tied match right now between Everton and Fulham, wow. um, but. These two songs just seem to be means to an end. Almost in the way that like Trey talked about how he wrote Character Zero because they needed a big rock and roll song to end a show. But Character Zero has like slightly all complicating the, it, it moments. It kind of always means stuff, you know? It kind of like, does. Like these songs just don't mean anything. So there's a technique that um, a lot of writers use, um, <laughs> songwriters. And you like the Beatles were pretty well known for John and Paul both uh John especially though would um Bon Jovi you're talking about what's that John Bon Jovi no the Beatle John Lennon oh okay also had it we all shine on lyric um they would uh write they would come up with a melody or a hook but it may not have any sense of they would make use nonsense words and syllables to kind of fill it out it's almost feels like Trey kept those yeah, you saw a lot of that in the Get Back documentary, where, yeah, where yeah. there was just kind of like, oh, I mean, this, this word it's, it's works I with do this rhythm. Yeah, sometimes you're just like ah, I mean, scra- scrambled eggs. Yeah. scrambled eggs, right? That's the that's yeah. the most famous example in my mind. So um, you 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 know what it's 
you know what this sounds like. You just haven't figured out how to put the words in here to make it work. And and then you do. Or well, you don't. Or you don't. Well, anyways, yeah. but, but we're getting ahead because I don't want to. Speaking of the Beatles, speaking of Paul McCartney, Uncle Albert, Albert Halsey from uh, Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram is here. And I it kind of late, late in the set. And I love it. It is just whimsical, fun. The it, it's a little bit of a mess, but so is the original. Um, it's just it matches I, the charm of the original. It's, it's great, absolutely. It's and it, just hearing Dre do some of those passages are just ah, it's so cool. Um, and it's kind of dumb, and and I, I love it. Well, I feel like this is where Marco shines because without yep. his keyboards and without that distortion Ooh. on his keyboards, you're you're not getting that like early 70s uh just kind of like dirty feel to it i i loved this i thought yes. um this is a song where mike really shines uh his vocals really shine and like this fits yep. him perfectly and it's got that weirdness that um paul mccartney could dip into uh while feeling so regal at the same time um i, I do sorry just to back up to the anti-intellectual mud city i do mm-hmm. just want to say this song immediately moves into a Coventry groove jam is the only way I could define it. It's very sludgy, but like very powerful. There's a lot of Marco keys in this. It's very psychedelic. Yeah. There's almost like Plinko type jamming that we would hear fish employ a couple of years later, huge, huge raising raging peak. And then Joe Russo and Trey aligned together in a way that, you know, we don't want to be blasphemous in any sort of way, but you know, RJ, you said this earlier, like there is a stylistic similarity to Joe Russo and John Fishman. And you can hear almost this excitement within Trey of being able to play with someone who can match him in terms of, oh, you're going to go for this riff. Here's where I'm going to go from a rhythmic standpoint. And he's not getting that with a lot of his other drummers that he's playing with other than Fishman and Joe Russo. I do think um, the... The Uncle Albert thing, I just, I just can't. But I mean, I do think with that and <laughs> and the Who Are You encore with Paige, I do think that the one thing I'll agree with is is what you guys said. It's like they would never, Fish would never do that, you know. And so I do think like some of this is just like allows them to be a little more loose and have fun and be less serious about the material and pay homage to like stuff they really like, you know. Even like Tab these days, like yes, don't really. Fish who screams on hand the knee would never do anything this ridiculous. You're absolutely right. Never. Genuine no, assholes would never do such this. a serious. <laughs> and these no, days. but that's actually a good, it's a good point though, because they would, they would prefer to create their whole own album as opposed to like playing Zeppelin at this point. True. Yeah. Know? That's and a good I think point. like yeah. 2003, four fish was kind of the same thing. Like they're, the covers yeah. are, are established in their repertoire for the most part. That's and I think this point. allows them to loosen up a little bit, you know? The um, dragonfly is a little bit, and it just bursts like I. It just shouts out the first line, and then boom, we're rocking dragonfly. Okay, and then um, and then they have an encore. Dragonfly (laughs) should be noted. This is one of four songs written by Trey, Mike, Benevento, and Russo ahead of the tour. Yeah. I didn't do all the research to learn what the other three songs are. So Ryan Storm, if you want to tell me what the other three songs are, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting, but Dragonfly is one of four. 
Ryan, you well, have four minutes for this research. Or we will not put it on the screen. <laughs> I don't think um, I knew that, actually. That's interesting. Yeah. I um, didn't either. I thought it was a Trey song. And then yeah, I, me it, too. Um, it is, it's on it bar is clearly 17, just employed though, to be like, it's on bar 17, which came out four months after this. Um, and you can tell, it just feels like a song. When, when you know that and you listen to it, it just feels like a song that was like, all right, we just need to your point, Jonathan, like power chords, energy, and something that we can, uh, we can shout and boots and your dragonfly is it. So they must've written this. So it was, it was debuted by tab that spring. So that means that they were writing and prepping for this. I know Marco talked about getting a call from Trey. He's told that story on a couple different shows, including an interview I did with him on past, present, future live, a shout out to this I had a lot of fun doing that show. Um, he got a call and Trey said, Hey, you want to join a band with me? And he was like, <laughs> what? Um, and then he said, yes. But um, so they must've done a bunch of recording and prep like in the early part of 06 and then tab went out and then they Warped did this song a little. Yeah. Cause he was, he was playing this song throughout you know, 06 with tab. a summer tour like this in the spring. Sure. Um, that this this tour so and, and if it's trey calling up marco or joe or both or whatever then it's probably a situation of phil is doing a summer tour and looking for an opener what's trey anastasio got going on and here we are so that was a pretty um, good that was a pretty good imitation that that's, good my, that's my phil lesh I don't know. I never never tried to do a Phil impression. Phil uh, was really talking good. with Tom Petty. Except when and I Tom was like, I got this Tom great Tom's opener Petty's. this summer. You should take him. <laughs> um, yeah. So can I just say again um, something? Maybe I didn't say it yet. Who are you? The Encore fucking rips. Um, age is out there. Mike's on the acoustic. You touched on that earlier, RJ. And that shit's really cool. Um, I had some thoughts about the fill set too, but you guys want to you, you have more to say about this uh, grab set or uh, I carry think on? I think the only thing I have to say is just in closing, I, I would encourage people to you know scurry around the highlights. The next show of this opens with a twenty six minute "Who Are You?" that is it's really really good. Um, I I would recommend people check out the Fall Six tour. Um, there's a couple really great versions of I was listening to last night. Uh, if you're walking uh, from I think 1018 from the Vic Theater in Chicago, um, it's like 20 minutes goes into sand. It's really really wild. There's amazing versions of Bar 17. The 102306 show it, from Boulder, Colorado is highly worth your time. Um, it's just this this stuff just showcases Trey at a very intense period of his life that. Um, improvisationally he would not return to uh, for five or six years as i said earlier and to jonathan's point earlier we are all very lucky not just trey but all of us very lucky that this ended as quickly as it did and he was able to transition um over the course of about a year into where he's at but um I, i'm really glad we did this show i think it's cool that we highlighted grab i think it's cool that we've highlighted the the duo as much as we've had throughout this tour because it's clear that they came in and out of the fish orbit in a really fascinating way yeah yeah um so the Bill Lesh headlined the show and uh, and had a pretty good, pretty good little band with him himself. 
Greg Osby on sax, Joan Osborne on vocals, John Molo on drums, Rob Baracco on keys, Barry Sless on pedal steel, and Larry Campbell on guitar as well. So you think that's a full band. They don't need to bring anybody out. But of course, they have Trey Anastasio around, and Trey likes to play. We all know this. So he comes out uh, for the second set, and they do Scarlet Begonias and Naviola Lee Blues into a bass duo. Mike Gordon comes out and... There's a bass duel, and it's not just the two of them, though. There's The band really plays behind it in this weird, almost fish-like jam. It's super cool, uh, very worth checking out. Um, and then Help Slip Frank. Come on. So good to get Help Slip Frank from Trey. Um, I absolutely you know, just loved this set. And a good midnight hour encore to wrap it up. But Trey is uh, playing pretty strong leads. Nothing super crazy out front. Um, but uh, but good and very entertaining. And he sings too. And it I, you know, can't get enough of Trey playing Grateful Dead material. And God bless Phil Lesh for getting him out there. Do you remember the uh, that Fare Thee Well tour they did? Twenty uh, yeah, I yeah. Sorry. Chicago. That was pretty good. Had a pretty good, good time. Stuff. Good. Really, really rose the occasion there. It's kind of amazing that we we took a break from the series for summer tour and then we picked it back up at like the most um, up in the air time for for fish. So it, it's kind of fun to go back because we've been we've been in twenty twenty three fish for for a while and this is fun um is there any any takeaways guys before we before we wrap up and and go back to our regularly scheduled saturdays i mean i think we're just we're, we're at a really interesting inflection point for the band's history um you know 07 is going to be darker i think in a lot of cases than 06 although by the end of the year there's going to be a sense of possibility um it's it's really wild to go back and listen to this and think that 2009 fish is just three years away like to think back three years prior from right now and to to think that within three years they're going to a tray is going to essentially abandon this type of plane and is going to be rebuilding fish uh I don't know. We're we're at a very a very wild period here in terms of like the fish story and their overall history. And um, I thought just on the Phil show, uh, his his vocals on "You Got to Hide Your Love Away" were uh, were really quite nice and really kind of spoke to uh, where he was at emotionally at that point in time. It, it felt kind of charred in a, in a really intense way. I I think that. I mean, 2006 fish didn't exist, right? I mean, a lot of us, like RJ, you described your own life in 2006. Brian, you too, you know, didn't go to see this stuff. I didn't go to see this stuff. Um, a, a lot of fish fans had been, I think, bummed when fish broke up. So many of us were like, yeah, that needs to happen. And, um, and we had moved on to some degree. Uh, this kind of was, felt like to some of us felt like it was, you know, maybe just a weird, like, 
I don't know. At the time, I didn't really think that this was this was a thing that I needed to care about. It felt like it was some sort of poor substitute. Um, I like listening to it now to a degree. Still reminds me of certain place where you know where, at the place where Trey was at, and I, I you know, don't love it a hundred percent. But I, there is interesting stuff here, and I think it is worth folks maybe taking taking some time to kind of peruse. Uh, some of this music um and you know uh, mike marco and joe are killing it on this stuff they're really delivering and trey is just riding on top a lot of the time um yeah i i don't i don't know that i think of 2007 as darker like trey's just really not there um yeah i think that that's the better way yeah it's it just it's, um, it's 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 the closest thing to this is never going to happen again for 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 true but like i don't know some of us really thought it wasn't like this didn't make me think fish could happen even like in the time like oh page came out maybe fish will come back i didn't think that some people i'm sure did. yeah there's certainly i know that there are younger people who were had a lot writing on the existence of fish for you know their like future recreation and identities and things like that and some there were really people like that and they still are and okay yeah no brian i don't think you were you raise your hand but like you were i was you were you will let yourself move on because you i had moved on but i was also like i the last fish show i saw felt like this like this cruel joke like i saw I, i listened to all these tapes and then i saw eight shows and it was like have i actually ever actually seen this band you know there was a sense from 2004 to 2009 that i'd never actually seen and i would have said no yeah you would (laughs) would have i would a lot of people know a lot of people um but uh you know that's point being that like fish was gone and uh and 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 in 2007 still gone and i don't know where i was going anymore uh i got derailed by my own self and uh but yeah this is cool stuff i'm glad we covered it and uh i look forward to if i'm here next week talking next week next week the next show we talk about trey will be you know on his way to recovery so you know that's all we're we're all we're heading we're heading up 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 from here um brian um Jonathan, thank you. Ryan Storm said he loves Saturday morning HF pot. I kind of do too. I can't promise that we will will always be able to do it on Saturdays, but it's kind of it's 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 leisurely. My family does not appreciate it, but yeah. um, I like it. It's I, I like HF pot over coffee. My yep. daughter keeps asking me if we're going to the beach soon. So yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess that's the end of that. Um, all right, guys, we'll see you in 2007. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. 
As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.